0: father we do thank you so much for the victory we have in your son jesus thanks be to you because through your son you have set us free from sin and death we have been forgiven all of our trespasses we are your children because of christ thank you so much and father i thank you that we can continue to worship you this morning And I pray we would do so, that uh, you would work in our hearts now as we look in your word, you would enable me to share exactly as you desire, and that we would all respond in a way that is glorifying to you. Lord, I ask you to bless your word as it goes out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Well, what do you think of when you think of love? Well, the world thinks of love most often as romantic love or love in terms of a desire. I I love to do this. I love to do that. Um, I love this person or that person, whatever it might be. Um, We tend to see love as something related to desire, to desire. Uh, What is it that you love? What is it that you desire? Well, in Scripture we see that love is brought forth and shown to us in a different way in a different way because there's human love which we do have but there is also god's love now many churches these days have a motto Uh, you can go to almost all the seekers friendly churches they'll say that their motto is the great command and the great commission what's the great command you should love the lord god with all your heart mind and soul right it speaks of love but what is true biblical love What is true biblical love that will bring God glory? Well, today we're going to see how we can glorify God in our lives. Would you turn with me to the book of Philippians? And we are continuing our study in this book. We're going to see how we can glorify God by living a life that will glorify Him as we look at genuine love through and in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, the context of the book of Philippians, we know that Acts 16 describes the founding of the Philippian church around 50, 52 AD, uh, 20 years after Pentecost. We see the tremendous reality of the apostle Paul sharing the gospel with Lydia at the river, and her household is saved. We know that Paul is imprisoned uh, for uh, having cast out a demon from a slave girl, and in that prison with Silas, they're singing hymns and, and praising God and uh, god supernaturally released their chains the jailer was going to kill himself paul stopped him because they didn't escape they stayed there and he said sirs what must i do to be saved and then the apostle paul said believe in the lord jesus christ thou shalt be saved he also shared the word with them and the philippian jailer and his household came to faith in jesus christ and thus we have the nucleus for the philippian church formed now Time has gone by about 10 years, and the Apostle Paul and the Philippian church are very close to one another. We're going to see that later on in chapter 4. They're very concerned about Paul. They're also concerned about their brother Epaphroditus. And within that, we see that this church loved the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul loved them. Now, this is one of the Apostle Paul's prison epistles, Colossians, Philippians, Ephesians, Philemon, again written around 62 AD uh, when Apostle Paul was under house arrest in Rome. Now I'm not going to share in depth as I have in the earlier messages you can get those, but what we do see in this letter, what we see that it is about, it is, it is, about, it is about Christ. It's about Christ. He is mentioned no less than 37 times directly and then we have it indirectly throughout the book. Indeed, in chapter 1, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He is our life. In chapter 2, he is our perfect example of obedient humility, having taken on human flesh, becoming obedient to the point of death on a cross, and thus worthy of all glory because he is Lord. We see in chapter 3 that he is our focus, that everything about him is what we should be focusing on, that that. Paul considered everything as loss in view of gaining Christ and knowing him. And we should press forward to the goal of becoming like Jesus, to whom we will be with. Chapter 4, he is the one to stand firm and he is the one through which by his word guards our hearts and minds by his spirit as we focus on him. As we set our mind on those things, those things that are good. And he is the one through whom God will supply all our needs. He is our strength and our supply. This letter is about Christ, and it should cause us then to rejoice in the Lord. And again, as Paul would say, again, I say rejoice. We have such a wonderful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's an encouraging letter. And I hope you were encouraged last week when Paul began in chapter 1 his prayer. And he was thankful every time he brought, was brought to remembrance of these Philippians. He was brought to thankfulness and petition for them, for God's past work in them. And he was confident that God would complete that work that he began until the day of Christ Jesus. He would complete it. Tremendous work. And now we move into the, the gist or the, the, the meat of the prayer that the Apostle Paul has in this first chapter. And we're going to be looking at verses 9 through 11 where I believe, again, we're going to see how we can live a life that glorifies God look at verse 9 and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Tremendous little portion of scripture here. Tremendous uh, set of verses. Well, are you a believer? Do you want to glorify God? Do you want to live a life that brings glory to the Lord? Well, I, I do. If you're a believer, I think you probably do too, right? So how can we do this? How can we do this? I believe we're going to see, first of all, that we need to abound more and more and more in true biblical love. And we're going to take a look at that specifically. Notice uh, Paul's petition to God. He prays that they would abound in just that. Look at verse 9. And this I pray, this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more. This is he, he doesn't say, I pray that uh, God will do this or this and this and this. He says, this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more. The term translated abound here speaks to be over and above, to overflow, to, to, to overflow, to excess. Think of saying that as abounding. And here it's in a present tense that it would continually habitually abound. And notice he modifies it by this phrase, still or yet, more and more, to a greater degree. He's not saying that they don't have love that's abounding. He's saying that you do, but I'm praying that it would abound even still more, more and more and more. You see, true believers in some way, shape, or form are going to manifest the love of Christ. They're going to have a genuine, they're going to have God's love to some degree. But Paul prays that it would just, that it would abound to a greater greater degree but this really begs the question what is biblical love then what is love from god's perspective i think today we're going to see a very important portion that explains really truly what love is and the boundaries of true biblical love so that we do not deceive ourselves we can think we are loving god and what we're doing or how we're acting or what we're thinking and maybe we're not but maybe we are And God's word explains and gives us the boundaries and gives us a real understanding of what true biblical love is. Now the word here translated love is a familiar word to some, agape. It speaks of the action of self-sacrifice for someone or something else, seeking another's best. Now concerning love, we definitely see this in the person of our our God. We know that uh, that God demonstrates, uh, Romans 5, 8, His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He gave us His only Son to die for us. That's a demonstration of love. And we see this throughout many other passages. John 15, uh, we have uh, verse 13, Greater love has none than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Bob read part of this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested or, or revealed in us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation or satisfaction for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We see genuine love in the actions of our gracious God and our Savior, His Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who gave Himself for us. He saw us as more important than Himself. And He did that in the context of obeying the Father. Genuine love. Genuine love. And so we have this perfect picture of love in what Christ has done for us. When you want to know what love is, from that perspective, that's what love is in what God has done for us in sending Jesus Christ for us. That self-sacrifice of the Son of God who gave himself for us. And then when we look at this, we, we look at our passage again verse 9, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more, but, but who is this love towards? Your love towards one another, towards God, towards, towards the Roman Empire, who is it, it to? Who is it to? well the text doesn't say it explicitly does it and there are two prevailing interpretations that we can obviously understand one is that this love is abounding for the brethren maybe or love for god abounding so which one is right well i think we're going to see it's actually both you see because when we grow for our love in christ love for christ we grow in our love for one another they can't be separated as we're going to see if you truly love God, you're going to love him, as we'll see, by obeying his word towards one another and loving one another. We're going to see those things together. Love, in a general sense, encompasses uh, the Lord God and those who are his, and those who are his. Again, 1 John uh, 4, 7, we see the tremendous reality. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So with that in mind, as we look at biblical love, we need to recognize, as I just shared from that passage, that true love originates from God. It is from God and not from us. You know, we can conjure up, in a sense, in our hearts feelings towards people, whatever it might be. We can have desires or whatever. I love this, I love that, or this person, whatever it might be. But true biblical love comes from God. Love it, love, beloved, love it, there you go. Beloved, love is from God god so what does this love for god look like we see it for god and then for his people what does it look like what does it look like you remember the lord jesus christ when he was asked about the greatest commandment he said to them you shall love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind this is the great and foremost commandment Now the interesting thing is the Jews would say that same quote from Deuteronomy every single day, twice a day. As if they did love the Lord and they were in their sins. They would later say, crucify him. So we can say and have an understanding of loving God, but do we really love God? Do we really love him? What does that look like? What does that look like? Well, praise the Lord, we have... it clearly relayed in his word again love for god is placing his interest as we will see above our own when you love someone you place their interests above yours their interest above yours jesus makes that clear in john chapter 14 that biblical love is placing god's interest and thus god's what god says and obeying him above one's own interest look at john 14 john 14:21. 14, And where does God reveal his interest and desires? In his word, right? In his word. In his commands that we see in his word. John 14, verse 21, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, shares this. He says, he who has my commandments, verse 21, and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will disclose myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are to disclose yourself to us and not the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and I will come to him and make make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. A pretty simple statement. If you love me, you'll keep my word. You know, if you love your parents, you're going to do what they say. If you love yourself more, you're going to do what you want, right? It's that simple. It's that simple. He says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, he who loves me, and he who loves me, he says... And he who does not love me does not keep my word. Pretty simple love in this context is seeing God and thus his will from his word, his desires, as more important. It doesn't mean our desires aren't wrong. Remember the Lord Jesus where he said, not my will, but thy will be done. His will was not wrong, but he considered the Father's will as more important. That is love. That is love. It's not that all of our desires are wrong and evil and wicked, but it's that his desire needs to trump all of them in the context of a real love relationship with the Lord. Look at 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Look at verse 15. We see that if someone has a love for the world, they don't have a love for God. 1 John chapter 2 verse 15. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. Well, we have the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life, right? It says, don't love the things in well, If anyone loves continually habitually the world, the love of the Father is not in him. But then go back a little bit to verse 3 of chapter 2 of 1 John. Do you want to know if you've come to faith in Jesus Christ? Do you want to know? Let's look at verse two, or verse three of chapter two of First John. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Now it's a different word. it's not the Ten Commandments, it's his commands. Now we know we all sin. Earlier he said if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. He says that if anyone says they have no sin, they're liars. So it's in that context. But by and large, true believers will obey his word. They'll have a desire to obey. We will fail. We will confess our sins. But he says if, here, anyone, we can know, we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. And then verse 4, the one who says I've come to know him, I've come to know Jesus. And does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, what? The love of God. Where'd that come from? The love of God is truly perfected. You see, when I truly love the Lord, I'm going to desire to obey the Lord, and that when I keep his word, his love is complete in me. It is perfected. Same word, complete. God's love in me is, is completed in a sense in that moment when I do what he says by his power and strength. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought, to, ought himself also to walk in the same manner as he walked. We see this same principle in John, 1 John chapter 5, a little farther down. Look at 1 John chapter 5, verse, verse 3. For this is the love of God. This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. Now, again, that's his commands. You could translate it that way. We do what he says. Now, now when we do what he says, that's in the context of also him telling us we can't do anything apart from him, right? We do what he says by trusting in him, by relying on him, by obeying him, by his power and strength, by depending on him through faith. And he says, and his commandments are not burdensome. For the true believer, when we're not in sin, they're very burdensome when we're in sin, by the way. But when you confess your sin and you're right with the Lord, his commands are not burdensome. They're good. They're good. You see, God's love is that which flows from a believer who's abiding in Christ. It is the fruit of the Spirit. We see that in Galatians chapter 5. The first thing is love. And love is the evidence of a changed life, and that love will manifest in a love for one another because God tells us how to interact with one another. God shows us in his word to treat one another more important than ourselves, to think of you as more important than our wills. We see this in 1 John chapter three, fourteen. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. And again, what does loving the brethren look like? So loving God has a, seeing Him as more important. I love. I see His will is more important than my will, which could be okay, but His will is more important. And then also, it's the same as seeing His people as more important. Look again at First John chapter five. Whoever believes that Jesus is the is the Christ is born of God. Hey, you're born again. You're 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 His child. And whoever loves the father loves the child born. It's going to speak of his children, by the way, not just the child singular. By this, verse 2, we know that we love the children of God. By this, this is how you can know if you love, really love. Because out in the world, in the church world, love is just like, hey, you know, love is just doing stuff for people. You know, that's maybe a loving act, maybe not. Maybe not. But here he says, by this, we can know that we love the children of God. You can know when we love God and observe his commands you know when he says to be anxious for nothing if i'm anxious around you i'm not loving you i'm being very selfish aren't i right if i'm angry at you i'm being very selfish i'm not loving you am i he says don't be angry don't the sun go down in your anger there's so many commands you look at that when we disobey his word what manifests in that is a lack of love for those around us And so within this, we see that biblical love is a love that is God's love as we abide in Christ, trusting in him, obeying his word, allowing his desires to become our desires. When his desires, as revealed in the word, become our desires, when we see them as the most important, we are loving him, and that is what is loving one another. Now again, we don't do that perfectly, right? And when we don't, we confess. And God forgives us. So then, we see that we love by allowing His perfect love to flow through us as we obey His Word in the context of trusting in Him. Now, some of you, if you were honest, you would say, today, you know, I, from that definition, I don't love God. And thus, I don't love His people. And, uh, to be honest, you love yourself. We're all there. We all come into this world being self-lovers. That's all we care about ultimately. And we care about other people, but only if it if only if how it affects us. And God changes that when you trust in his son, Jesus Christ. You're forgiven of your sins. Your heart is cleansed. And he changes your desires and your nature that you can love him and love his people. He gives you a desire to obey his word. And when you don't obey it, we, have, we, we feel awful. We feel convicted. We recognize our sin. Some of you have not loved God. You don't love God. You never have. You love yourself. But I've got some good news, friend. God considered you as more important than himself. He considered you. You being imprisoned to your sins on the road to judgment, he gave his son in your place. God requires death for sin and that, and if you, don't, if you don't respond, you will die in your sins and you will spend eternity in punishment. But he sent his son instead in your place and he took the full wrath of God for your sins. And if you are willing to admit that and turn to Jesus and call upon him, he will save you from your sins. You will be forgiven of your sins. Will you bow down to him today? Will you call out to him? It's only then you can love God and love His people. Now, what's really interesting is we think we understand that, and I think we do understand that. But yet, God is gracious here in His Word and other places to show us that we need to understand a little more about God's love. Because we can be so easily deceived in our hearts, thinking we are loving God. You know, the Jews went out and they obeyed every commandment, right? Paul said he was blameless in regards to the law when he was Saul, the, the Pharisee. Is obeying God's word simply, simply mean that I love him? Well, we're going to see that love has more to it than simply that. That there are bounding, there, there, are, there are guiding principles that reveal what true biblical love is. And Paul reveals that here in this passage. And we're going to see that true biblical love has guiding limitations, that help us understand whether we're really, truly loving. So Paul is praying that their love would abound, super abound, more and more. And notice what he says, verse 9. In real knowledge and all discernment. This is where it's missing, brothers and sisters in the church. I'll tell you that right now. That love would abound in these areas, in real knowledge and all discernment discernment true biblical love has guiding limitations notice the first one that it would abound still more and more in in the sphere of real knowledge the word in greek is epinosis it speaks of uh, full knowledge or or, or, or true knowledge And I believe this knowledge that he's talking about has primarily to do with the Son of God and ultimately his will. In real knowledge of who he is and what he has said. In true knowledge. John 17 verse 3, Jesus says this as he prays. And this is eternal life that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Eternal life, knowledge, a relational knowledge with the living God. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And that comes through his precious and magnificent promises, right? 2 Peter chapter 3, in the end, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in that knowledge, that true knowledge of him. Of him. The Apostle Paul said in chapter 3 of Philippians, Turn there. He talked about the knowledge of Jesus. The knowledge. He said, more than that, verse 838, 8, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now, folks, we're going to see that knowledge is biblical knowledge concerning Christ, what he's revealed about himself in a true relationship. But the reality is we can't just have biblical knowledge and wisdom apart from a real relationship with him there are people who bank up all kinds of knowledge and that's not a bad thing but they don't have a real relationship with the lord the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the holy one You see, so you can have biblical knowledge, but if you don't fear him, you don't respect him, you haven't come into a right relationship with him, that knowledge is not the knowledge that is being spoken of here. It's the kind of knowledge that puffs up and makes arrogant rather than true knowledge in the context of fearing the Lord. And as we're going to see, there are people who have knowledge, but they don't have it in the context of fearing the Lord. He says here, I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge, real knowledge or true or full knowledge. Folks, biblical love cannot uh, exist apart from the real intimate knowledge of Jesus Christ through his word and his will. You can't know real love apart from knowing him and his will. You can't. One uh, pastor writes, love for Christ requires proper knowledge of him. Pure emotional commitments and revivals, rededications, renewals will soon fade. Love for Christ will abound when his people learn the great eternal truths of scripture. And I put this in myself, that point to him and his will. Those truths in the context of the fear of the Lord. Some of you may be gaining all kinds of knowledge, but you're not gaining a relationship with him because you haven't feared him rightly You don't see yourself as a sinner in need of everything, totally dependent upon him. He is the living God, right of your reverence and fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One. So here we see true biblical love doesn't exist apart from the knowledge of Christ and his will through his word. And he says, I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge, in the real deal. I believe in context concerning Christ, that you may know him. You may know him. Do you remember what Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1? The goal of our instruction is love. The goal of instruction is not gaining knowledge per se by itself. It's knowledge that helps us understand him rightly and brings about the context of a right relationship with him in which he loves us. And then we are able to love him and others. Now, again, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we have that knowledge is equal to love. It's not. It's not. You know, Paul would share, as I mentioned a minute ago, that love puffs up without knowledge, right? Or knowledge puffs up without love, excuse me. Brings pride and arrogance. But God's love and his truth should have a right relationship. First Corinthians 13, love rejoices in the truth. It rejoices in the truth. There is a right relationship between love and truth. So then, we need to recognize that he prays, first of all, that your love would continue to superabound more and more in real knowledge. You know the Lord, but he wants you to know more and more and more, that you would love him more and more and more, that you would obey him more and more and more. But notice it's not just that. It's not just that, because we have another problem that I see often in the body of Christ that people may have knowledge of Christ, they may fear the Lord, but they don't rightly discern and apply that knowledge. Look at again, verse 9. And I pray, this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge. And don't miss this, all discernment. Really important. Really important biblical love contains discernment discernment and paul prays that it abound in more in all discernment i find discernment is lacking in the body of christ these days people may know the word of god and some don't some do but discernment and how to apply it in every situation is missing greatly have you ever talked to someone who knows the word really well but they're missing it They're not applying it rightly to the circumstances in their lives. We see that. The term discernment here speaks of the moral action of recognizing distinctions, making a decision concerning behavior, perception, insight, judgments. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. Biblical love not only contains the true knowledge of Christ and his will, but is also discerning. I think it's Shakespeare said love is blind, right? Well, he's talking about another kind of love, right? But folks, blind love is not God's love. Paul prays that their love would abound, super abound, yet more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. Not some discernment, but all discernment. A discernment that encompasses every aspect of life. All discernment. And this is, by the way, biblical discernment based on the knowledge that God gives. How to apply it to specific life situations and actions how to divide and rightly see how God's Word applies to the circumstances, on how you raise your kids, on how you interact in your marriage, on how you deal with work, on everything that comes before you, how to apply His Word rightly. And again, I see this sorely lacking in the body of Christ. We've seen it around here. People have a lot of biblical knowledge but cannot apply it Rightly. Because as we'll see later on, they're hypocrites and stumblers. And that's what we are if we don't apply it rightly. He says, I pray that you will still abound in love and abound more and more in real knowledge and in all discernment. Well, how do we gain discernment? We know in Hebrews 5.14, solid food is for the mature who have because of practice had their senses trained to discern good and evil. And that's in the context of God's word teaching us to discern things. But again, I need to fear him, right? God's word is irrelevant to me if I do not fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One. Remember what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 12: let love be without hypocrisy. Discern, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Make judgments about what is good and what is not good. Make those judgments. Throughout uh, God's wisdom writings in the Old Testament, as you read through Proverbs over and over again, we see God encourages those who are naive to become wise based on his word. Those who are foolish who reject his word pay the penalty, right? Turn to Proverbs chapter 2. We see how God's word, in the context of a right heart, directs choices in your life. Directs choices in your life. Proverbs chapter 2. And again, it baffles me at times, but as I was stating this, I thought, this is it, Lord. This is why this happens. This is why people can know the word and so wrongly apply things. Something's wrong. They're not discerning it rightly towards their children, towards one another, towards the church, towards their work, towards whatever it might be. Look at Proverbs chapter 2. My son, if you will receive my sayings, there's got to be a heart that's receptive. Treasure my commands. There's got to be a desire that loves it within you make your irritant attentive, you're going to want to learn to wisdom incline your heart to understand you want to know god's word and the lord right for if you cry for what discernment that i could make the i could decide and understand see things rightly lift up your voice for understanding if you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures then you will discern the fear of the lord And discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord God gives wisdom from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Guarding the paths of justice, he preserves the way of his godliness. And then look at verse 9. Then you will discern righteousness, justice, and equity and every good course. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul discretion will guard you and understanding will watch over you. We're going to see how ugly it is when that doesn't happen in the life of a believer. When discretion isn't there on the basics of life, whatever it might be. But here if you if you yearn for the right relationship with the Lord through his word, you yearn to know and understand and be more like him and and you treasure his word, you treasure wanting to be like him. He says, then you're going to discern. You're going to discern because God gives wisdom from his mouth. So then, true biblical love is grounded in biblical knowledge that is applied in the context of discernment. Sadly, Satan uses people who don't have discernment to stumble people. They may read passages about how to raise their kids, and they apply it totally wrong, and their kids are all messed up. And people look at them going, I'm not going to do that. Because they're not discerning rightly. And I could give you examples about every area in our lives where if discernment is missing, we're going to see that people are stumbled. People are stumbled. So then, brother and sister, are you in the Word of God, growing in His grace, in the knowledge of Jesus, able to discern good and evil. It's my prayer that you will abound more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. And guess what? There's a result to that. There's a result to that. So we have Paul's prayer here first, but then we have the results and we need to understand what it looks like so we're not self-deceived. What does real biblical love look like? Look at our passage. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in the real knowledge and all discernment, in real knowledge and all discernment, Verse 10, so that, it's not just for your head, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I pray that you may abound still more and more in real knowledge and discernment. Verse 10, so that the purpose, and then end of verse 10, A result in order that I pray that this would happen so that this would happen with the result that this would happen so we can see what it looks like right when people are are, are absorbing God's truth real genuine relationship with Christ and discerning rightly what's going to happen for the purpose of something which brings the result of something else and what's that first purpose that we see What is that first purpose so that you may approve the things that are excellent. So that you may approve the things that are excellent. The term approve, Docomazzo speaks of the act of testing something for the purpose of approving it. It's like if you want to test gold to see if it's genuine. You're testing something to ultimately approve it. It's proving something true by testing. Proving something true by testing. And then this phrase, this is translated, it's actually one word in Greek. That's the things that are excellent, or two words, the things that are excellent. It comes from the Greek word dia pharaoh, and it's kind of an interesting word. Now, I wish I would have translated it this way, because it helps us a lot. Dia, and then pharaoh, pharaoh means to carry, dia, th- two to carry two ways. What does that mean, to carry two ways? Well, it speaks of differing things, differing things. It speaks of things that literally differ. So the idea is testing, that you would be tested, proven, uh, to, to be able to, to distinguish between differing things. And in context, they've translated it this way. Obviously, you want to prove the excellent thing, which is excellent. Here we see biblical knowledge applied with discernment leads directly to right choices made. Discerning between two things. What should I do? What should I do? We choose the best, the excellent thing, the thing that is right. We make right choices. We make right choices. You see, it speaks of the ability to recognize the things that differ and thus make right choices. Does that make sense? One uh, pastor writes, referring to this passage, The goal of this discernment is to be able to know and choose the best course of action, the biblical course of action in any situation. And let me say on the outset that nobody except Christ has ever lived a perfect life, but God wants to train us to live like his son. And we have discernment is the art of separating out the best, the right thing, the biblical thing. Some things are good, but they're not the best. Discerning, discerning. And making that right choice in real time. It's when the Word of God, through discernment, now acts upon the choices in our lives as we trust and obey Him. That's the result that leads unto right choices. It leads unto right choices. So, what I believe Paul is saying here is that our spirit produced love for Christ and others abounds more and more as that does in real discernment and real knowledge then our spiritual perceptions for the discernment of the finer aspects of the Christian life will be sharpened and we will make the right choices in those situations. We will prove, prove the things that are excellent. Brothers and sisters, we are plagued these days in churches with pastors, leaders, congregations that cannot and do not on a consistent basis approve the things that are excellent. Discernment is lacking. And sometimes it's lacking in our lives, and and we need to abound still more and more and more. Now, certainly we recognize why some people are not discerning, because there's no true relationship with Jesus. But what about believers who don't seem to be able to discern? Well, the only answer I can think of is there's sin there. There's sin. There's not what we see in Proverbs chapter 2, a clean, open heart before the Lord to desire to be controlled by him and his word. Are you having trouble discerning your way in the Christian walk? Are you being tossed to and fro, having trouble discerning the things that are excellent? Well, maybe you're not saved, or, or maybe you're not growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus and all discernment through his word. Are you approving the things that are excellent, the things of Christ? Praise him. Praise him. God is glorified, as we'll see, when we make the right choices by the power of the Holy Spirit, when we allow his word to rightly control us, not wrongly control us, but rightly control us in circumstances that come before us. So the initial purpose of this abounding love is is a desire to do and know and discern his will. And the initial purpose of that is to make right choices, proving the things that are excellent. Are you proving the things that are excellent in your life when circumstances come upon you and you you have a chance to react or act to those things? Whatever it might be We all fail confess that but by and large we should be abounding in a love for jesus desiring his will over ours It being manifest in discernment and then right choices in our lives Now notice there's a result There's a result of this the purpose is to make those right choices in Christ. But there is a result. And I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent, and here we go, in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Interesting. What ultimately results in the life of a believer who is absorbing and growing in the knowledge of Christ and his will, discerning rightly and applying that to their life, is that they would be sincere and blameless until, means up to that point, up to the day of Christ. Now, what is he talking about, sincere and blameless? Well, notice, first of all, the term sincere is an interesting word. It speaks of being genuine. It comes from two Greek words. One speaks of the Son, and the other one speaks to judge. And it was used, it came from those who would sell pottery in the market. What they would do, the bad guys, would, if there was a crack in it, they would fill that crack with wax. And then someone who was discerning, who could make right judgments, they would come and they would take the pottery and they would hold it up to the light. And if the light came through the crack, they would know the pottery is cracked. They made a judgment. Son and judge. And it came to speak of that which is genuine, that which is sincere. You see, if you are truly allowing God's word to work, you're discerning things rightly, you're then walking rightly according to him, then you are sincere. There's no hypocrisy as we'll see. You're sincere. Unmixed. You're not the phony baloney one that has all the knowledge but isn't discerning it rightly. And that will be manifest because you'll see their hypocrisy. But true believers, the result is that it won't Manifest hypocrisy because there isn't hypocrisy. To be sincere until the day of Christ Jesus. You're the genuine article, the true article here. One's life will manifest the characteristic of sincerity and genuineness in relationship to their relationship with Jesus. Now, we've all seen fakers. You wonder why, how that happens? You look backwards and see it the opposite direction. Here, this is the believer that's aligned. God's Word to be rightly applied, discerned rightly in the situations there's a sincerity, they're not a hypocrite. But notice, secondly, it's, it's a, they are saints who are not hypocrites. They're sincere saints, but they're also saints that do not stumble others. Look at the uh, end of verse 10. In order to be sincere and blameless. Now, that's an interesting word, blameless, here. It's not the usual word translated blameless, which means without spot or blemish this word actually literally means not cut against or not stumbling against. The idea of not stumbling or without offense. Without offense, and thus you could blame someone because of the offense. That's where they translated it that way. In 1 Corinthians 10.32, it's translated give no offense. No offense. It speaks of not putting a stumbling block in one's path. You see, the saint that is not discerning God's word rightly and thus not applying it rightly in their lives is going to stumble people. It's going to stumble. We've seen it. They're going to stumble people. But those who are applying it rightly in the context of a right relationship with Jesus are going to be sincere, not hypocritical, and they're going to be those who do not stumble. They're blameless. Genuine, not a hypocrite who doesn't stumble others through their actions. Because of a lack of discernment. The Lord God takes, does not take kindly to those who stumble people. Matthew eighteen six. But whoever causes one of these little ones. And earlier he said believes in me. Speaking of believers. He says, or actually said here. Who believe in me to stumble. It is better for him that a heavy millstone be hung around his neck. That he be drowned in the depth of the sea. Stumbling people is not a good thing. Causing someone to trip up in their walk with Jesus is not a good thing. When you claim to follow Jesus Christ and then you live a life where you don't discern rightly and you apply his word wrongly and people look at it and they stumble, that's not a good thing. But those who do so and apply it rightly will not stumble until the day of Christ Jesus. They won't stumble others. Now what's this day of Christ Jesus? We saw it last week and you can get the CD to get into the discussion that I shared about it, but I don't believe it's the day of the Lord. That's the day of God's wrath upon mankind the day of Christ, I believe, is the day that the Lord Jesus will finish the job of salvation, the day that he comes for us. And guess what? If you are growing and abounding in real love and knowledge, all knowledge and, or, or just real knowledge and all discernment, approving the things that are excellent, you're going to be sincere. And you're, gonna, you're not going to be a hypocrite. And you're going to not stumble people all the way up to the day of Christ Jesus. That's what he's praying for. And that's what he wants in our lives. He doesn't want one of us, the Lord is not one of us to stumble anyone else. To be sincere. A saint that doesn't stumble. When God's love is abounding in real knowledge and all discernment, when we approve the right things, which result in proven genuine, being proven genuine, we will not stumble anyone up to the day Jesus finishes the job of salvation. So then we see we need to understand these truths but notice all of this is irrelevant if we don't have a right relationship with Jesus Christ underneath notice what he says here verse 11 ultimately abounding love making right choices is ultimately the overflowing fruit of righteousness through Jesus Christ that's where it comes from if we don't recognize this we're going to we're going to do it on our own and we're going to fail and stumble people and we're hypocrites Verse 11, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The term having been filled is a perfect passive participle. It's happened to you already and you still are filled with that fruit of righteousness. Notice the source which comes through Jesus Christ. The fruit of righteousness, the righteous fruit that comes from a relationship with Jesus, is that comes just from that, from Jesus. You see, we can't do any of this apart from personally, truly relying on Jesus, abiding in him as we grow in his word and make discerning judgments and step out in faith and obey him. It's all in the context of relying personally on Jesus Christ. What do we see in John 15? Turn to John 15. It comes through Jesus Christ. John 15. Jesus says in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean. He's speaking of salvation. You can see that back in chapter 13. Because of the word which I have spoken to you, abide in me and I in you, that means remain, rest in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. All this is is summarized in a right relationship with Jesus Christ where we are relying on him, growing in the knowledge of him and thus love for one another, growing in discerning that knowledge and understanding it and then applying it rightly in our circumstances, approving the things that are right and then being thus uh, not a hypocrite, and thus one who does not stumble people. It's all because of this overwhelming fruit of righteousness that comes through abiding in Jesus Christ. Don't miss it. Verse 11. Having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ, and notice only that will bring God glory, to the glory and praise of God. Oh, believer, when you are growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, when you're growing in his love, your love for Him, you're discerning things rightly, all discernment, you're making choices right in your life, you're applying it. When His character is manifest in your character because you're abiding in Jesus, the result is to the glory and praise of God. It's all Him. You see, when we abide and trust in Christ, Christ gets all the glory. He gets all the glory. So please don't miss that. Don't miss this fruit that that is manifest, comes overflowing. It's an overflowing manifestation of a right relationship with Jesus Christ. And maybe some of you have done everything you've seen up to that point, but you really, truly do not rely on Jesus Christ in a day-in and day-out moment, truly recognizing your inadequacy, truly trusting and believing in what he has said and believing in Him. Today's the day to make the change, to trust the Lord, to obey Him, to walk with Him rightly. So how do we live a life that glorifies God? Paul prayed that their love would grow and grow and superabound more and more, because it's already there, but superabound more and more in real knowledge of ultimately of Christ and His truth in the context of all discernment and this growth will occur as we humbly feed on the Lord, and as we humbly feed on the, on the Word, the Lord's Word. This is where the rubber meets the road, then. then we will apply it rightly to life. Where God's Word is applied rightly to real situations in your life. And from that, there's a sincerity, a non hypocriticalness, and there is that which will not stumble. Where are you at? Is this your life? Is God's love abounding in you at all? If it isn't, maybe you don't know the Lord. You see, because we love, because he first loved us. And analyze your heart rightly. You know, we can, We can. the heart is all deceitful above all else. Lord, show me my heart. Show me where I really stand with you. That I might truly turn to you and be saved. And if I do know you, that I would see things rightly and live rightly as I trust and obey your Son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. And I pray for those here who don't know you that they would be humbled. Those who think they know you but really don't, you know the heart. That they would be convicted of their pride and self-sufficiency. And they would turn and trust in your Son, Jesus, humbly, And Lord, for those of us who are saved, that we would abound in love in the context of real knowledge and all discernment. That we would then make the right choices, approve the things that are excellent, so that we would not stumble anyone, that we would truly be genuine, sincere, until the day your Son comes. And Father, I thank you that all this happens through a dependence upon your Son Jesus, as the fruit of His righteous character is manifest in us. Father, thank you for your Word. Thank you for your Son. It's in His name.